Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Uh, breakfast today is dedicated in loving memory of Sami Sayyid Alava Shalom, Lilu Nishmat, Shalomo Ben Rivka, sponsored by his son Isaac Sayyid. Uh, as well, the week of cold brew, as well as uh, sponsored in the same, uh, in the same vein, Lilu Nishmato, Shalomo Ben Rivka. Please make barachot, Lilu Nishmato. Okay, Rabotai, I thought maybe today it would be a good idea to learn a little bit about the Chodesh itself that we are entering into. We know that on Rosh Chodesh, the day of Rosh Chodesh, symbolizes the koach, the strength, the power of that month and what it's supposed to bring uh, to each and every one of us. And as well, if a person understands what the month is supposed to symbolize, then they can kind of tap into that and connect to it. Now there's three different interpretations and meanings for the name of the month of Kislev. Rashi brings the first interpretation that the word Kislev, it comes from the word for Telem, which means a rut. I don't know, maybe uh, you feel that way as well. You just went through Cheshvan, no holidays. It's getting cold, it's getting dark early. person could feel like they're in a rut. I think some of us today, especially in 2020, everything that's going on, we feel like we've been living in a rut. We, uh, never mind we uh, fell into it. We haven't been able to get out of it the whole, the whole year, okay? So number one, the month of Kislev is a rut. That sounds like a strange name, name for, a, for a holiday. We'll discuss it in just a second. The second interpretation of the month of, on the word of the month of Kislev is from the word Kisli. You know, person says, the Pasuk says, if I made money Kisli, meaning something that I believe in, something that I uh, hope for or pray for, okay? So Kisli could also mean a person's dreams and a person's prayers and what they're hoping and they're, asp- you know, and they're aspiring to. And the third interpretation of the word uh, of, uh, of Kislev, aside from the, uh, the, the, so to speak, the rut and those, uh, and those hopes, uh, is actually, uh, is, uh, is brought, I think there's actually two different opinions on the last element of the word, um, but I don't want to necessarily go into them for now, because I wanted to point out something about these two words, these two understandings. It seems as if Kislev represents two, opposed, two opposite things. On the one hand, it represents the rut. On the other hand, it represents a person's dreams and aspirations, something that they believe in. How could it be that those two things are represented in the month of Kislev? Now, the, the mazal of the month, the power of the month, as we know, what's the mazal of the month of Kislev? Is Keshet. It's the, the rainbow, which is very, very interesting. Number one, it's interesting because if you think of the rut, what shape is a rut? It's the shape of a keshet. The flip side of the rut, the keshet that goes underneath, is the opposite, is where the keshet is above the person. It arches high above the person. So on either side of kislev, kislev can be either or. Why does kislev, why is it representative of a rut? And Rashi explains this tilamim, when do you make a rut? It's dafka specifically this time now. When they would go and they would plow in the fields, it's already not too hot, so it dries out the earth in the summer. There's a little bit of rain, but not too much yet. So you make the rut, you, make the, uh, you plow the, the furrows in the ground, and now is when we plant the seeds. So Rabotai, what could be seen as a rut or as a dip in a person's experience could also be seen on the flip side, as a person having an opportunity to plan something and to hope for something that's much better. That's the nature of the concept of Kislev, that it carries within it both 
the propensity, if a person can fall into something, into a bit of a hole, a groove, they're in a pattern, they feel like they need chidush, they need to get back up again. On the other hand, it carries within it tremendous potential to be able to rise above. Think as well of the alternate meaning of the keshet, of the bow, that on the one hand, when a person feels like the person is pulling back deep into the opposite of the bow, every single inch that they're pulling down also indicates how far forward they're going to go if it's done properly. So this month carries within it unbelievable koach, but also a natural propensity if a person just leaves the month and doesn't fight to move forward to be able to feel a little bit low, a little bit of a dip. Rabotai, I find as well over here in our parasha, in the ideas of Esav and Yaakov, this concept as well. The pasuk tells us, there are two uh, 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 nations in your womb, and two leumim, and two uh, princes, and two powers, will split from your, from your womb. Listen carefully to what it says over there. Shnei goyim bebetnech, says the Gemara, don't read it goyim, uh, nations, but rather geim. Geim means people that are on a very high level. Two greats will ascend, will come out from you. Says the Gemara, who is this referring to? Who are these two greats, these two geim? They are Rabbi Yehuda and Antoninus. Fascinating. What is Rabbi Yehuda and Antoninus? Who's Rabbi Yehuda? Rabbi Yehuda is the Nasi of the Jewish people. He came from the tribe of David Amelech. He's the prince of the Jewish people. He's also the person that prepared and wrote the Mishnah that we still enjoy today. So the father of Torah Sheba'al Peh is considered to be Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. He had a very interesting Chavruta, a study partner. Wasn't uh, Rabbi Shmelka, Rabbi Flubin Slavin. Who is this Chavruta? Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. No, that's Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Dahanasi has a study partnership, a Chavruta night with Antoninus, the Roman emperor. The two of them were actually born on the same day. They have a very similar mazal. Who does Antoninus come from? He's the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire we know is Edom, comes from Esav. Rabbi Dahanasi is obviously from the Jewish uh, lineage. Antoninus fell in love with the Torah. But for him to study Torah would have been something which would have been punishable by death. So he built a tunnel. The Gemara says he built a tunnel from his palace to the house of Rabbi Yudah Hanasi. And each night he would come and study with Rabbi Yudah Hanasi in the tunnel. On the way in, he would kill the guard that stood at the front. And on the way back, he would kill the guard that stood at the end by Rabbi Yudah Hanasi. So no one will be able to know. You see, he's a Talmud, he's a Talmud Chacham, but even though he's studying and learning, he still has the Esav in him. <laughs> right? He's killing the guards on either way, on the way in, on the way out. Sorry? He killed both on the first side and on the second side. That's what it says by Antoninus. No, that's the point. Every day he killed another one. He didn't kill the same one, Sammy. <laughs> Okay, now listen to this. Ready? This is the beautiful thing, Bart over here. They would study Torah together. And the Gemara says that they were never missing from on their table Chazeret Utsnon. They were so, these two, these two people, they were studying Torah, 
But at the same time, he tr- gave tremendous kavod to Rabbi Yudah Nasi. If Rabbi Yudah Nasi would feel like he needed to go lie down, says Antoninus, the Roman emperor, would bend over and allow Rabbi Yudah Nasi to step on his back to get into, to lie on his bed. And Rabbi Yudah Nasi would tell him, you're the king, you're not allowed to do this. I'm supposed to have kavod. And Antoninus would say, if only I could be like a rug under your feet in Olam Haba. Fascinating. Okay? Now, here we have this a story of Antoninus. And the Gemara says, there was never lacking from the table of Rabbi Yudah Nasi and Antoninus, chazeret utsnon. Lettuce and snon is radish. So the Mephashim ask, what do you mean? That's how you show someone has a good table? Imagine you go to the fanciest restaurants. You know, you go in a reserve car, ah, La Marais, you know, I don't know where else, my bar of Wolf and Lamb, UN, and they say, sir, what's the special today? The guy said, today we have a delicious lettuce. Had that, you're out, chalas, you're leaving. I didn't come to chop here, what is this? Right? I'm here for the, give me the, give me the flesh, give me the meat, right? So why are we saying that the tables of the richest people had lettuce and radish? So there's different interpretations. One interpretation is that the lettuce, we know people eat lettuce at the beginning of the meal, and the reason for that is because the lettuce uh, allows a person, it, it uh, sparks the hunger. It's an appetizer, okay? It makes you hungrier without filling you up. So that prepares the way for the meal. Tsnon, it says, is sharp. After you've finished eating the radish, when you eat it, the sharpness helps the stomach open up and it helps with digesting the food that you ate. So it's telling you the bookends of the meal. That's one interpretation. But I saw another interpretation that really blew my mind and really comes back to this power of Kislev. You know what Tsnon is? Tsnon, lettuce, grows above the ground. Only the roots are beneath the ground. Lettuce, it. Radish, Tsnon, grows into the ground. Okay? These two people, these two characters, they were representative of Yaakov and Esav, each one for their nation. You know, Esav, he was Ish Tzayid. He lived outdoors. He was born, you see Sammy over there as a Canada goose coat, big fur on the outside. Esav didn't need Canada goose, didn't need bakaj, batik, nothing. He had the fur on him. He was covered, kulo ka'aderet se'ar. He was prepared to live outdoors. Almost like an animal is prepared. He's, he was almost an uber outdoorsman. Yaakov Avinu, on the other hand, is Ishtam, Yoshev, O'alim. He lives only inside. So whereas Esav is someone who was created to be outside, Yaakov was someone who was created, so to speak, to be Ishtam, Yoshev, O'alim in the tent of Torah. Now I want to show, I want to share something which I thought was very interesting. The Pasuk tells us that Yitzhak and ya- Yitzhak loved Esav. Why did Yitzhak love Esav? Why did he love him? Now, it doesn't say that he didn't love Yaakov. But it also, it doesn't say that he loved Yaakov. Reminds me, like I always say, of the Moroccan guy. Remember our Moroccan friend? He's a Moroccan, could be Syrian, could be Lebanese, hardcore, old school from the old country, the OG Sephardic husband. His wife, she's American, she gets married, she's in therapy. She says, ah, you know, she brings him to couples therapy. She says, he never says he loves me. And the husband says, I say under the chupa, I love you. Something changed, I let you know, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't got to tell it to you all the time. What are you talking about? Right, so, okay, Yitzhak, I get it. He's a Sephardic dad, that's the point. 
He loved Esau. It doesn't say he loved Yaakov. You know, it doesn't say he didn't love him, but it also doesn't say he loved him. Why did Yitzchak have a love for Esav? That Rivka loved Esav, I understand. Yaakov, I understand. But that, Yaakov, that Yitzchak loved Esav, why does it say that? And I thought of something that I think is very interesting. You know, the people that we love in our lives are the ones that are most like us. You know, parents are not supposed to have favorite kids. Unfortunately, they often do. Right? Hopefully they hide it well. <laughs> right? Usually, which kid does the father love? The one that's a mini him. Which one does the mother love? The one that's a mini her. They remember that personality, that style of engaging in the world. They have similar interests. They both love going to the museums. This one and the other one are always in the museum cafe. Right? You know, the hack, that's how it works. You love the one that's like you. But Yitzchak, we know, is Semel, his power was givurah, to overcome. The one that would be hard to love, that's the one that Yitzchak worked on loving. How do you learn to love someone that you don't naturally love? Our rabbis tell us, you can develop love for someone you don't naturally love. How? By constantly giving to them. Yitzchak, out of the two sons, Yaakov was easy to love. But Esav, he needed to gift him every day. Rochi, his porridge, his, uh, waf his wafers, his waffles. Let me make you this. Let me buy you that. Let me do this for you. Yitzchak spent his whole life trying to give to Esav to learn to unnaturally love him. But the one that you give more to in the end, you wind up loving more. So Yitzchak invested so much in turning this ship around of Esav that he wound up loving him even more. Rivka, as I said yesterday, you know, Haiti I know these Rishayim. I grew up with all of them. You know, I know when it's when someone's too far gone. Now listen to this, because this is beautiful. Yaakov, Yitzchak, it's not that he didn't understand. The two forefathers, if you look at Yaakov, who is Yaakov and who is Esav? Out of the two forefathers, out of the two forefathers that lived before, you had Avraham Avinu. What did Avraham do? He was the extrovert. He was out all day being mikarev the world, right? Vayikra b'shem Hashem, traveling to different countries. Yitzchak only lives in one place. Yitzchak is more the dormant dweller. He lives in one place. So who is most like Yitzchak? Yaakov Avinu. So that was natural. Yitzchak fights against that, tries to do everything he can to bring in the kid that is unnatural for him to love. Here's the fascinating end of this, okay? The end of this is, this character trait is symbolized by the two things that stood on the table of Rabbi Yudah Hanasi and Antoninus. One element is chazeret, that which grows in an external way, right, but has a root in the ground. That was what was possible for Esav, to be like Antoninus, to be out there ruling the emperor of the whole world, but to have his root deep in the ground, buried in from, you know, coming from the right place. But at the same time, you also had Yaakov, who was the Tznon, who all of the growth happened underneath. A tzaddik, the majority of his growth is not expressed externally, it's expressed internally. So you want to know what the greatness of these two characters was. One was Chazeret, one was the, 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 uh, the, the lettuce, and one was the Tznon, Rabotai. That symbolizes the power of the month of Kislev. That it symbolizes the two halves, the Keshet, which can either rise above or go beneath. 
But going beneath the rut doesn't need to symbolize something negative. It could be the internal power of the human being, the koach of Yaakov the Tznon, or it could also be the outwardly chazeret, the Esav. Rabotai, each one of us has these two kochot that are latent inside of us. In the month of Kislev, we could bring them out. It's when we find in this month specifically that the Chashmonaim, who are internalists, who are Kohanim, who belong in the Beit HaMikdash, what happens? They take that koach of the Keshet and they turn it around. So Rabotai, if there's something that's difficult within you, an element or a part of your personality that needs to be brought out, that needs to be changed, that needs to be uh, reversed, the month of Kislev gives us that power as well. Baruch Adrai Leolam. Amen. Amen. Rabbi Chananya Ben